Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. All right, good morning, everyone. Thanks for being here. And uh, like Grace just mentioned, we are in the middle of this series called One Minute After You Die. Uh, and we're really looking at the question, like, what happens after life on this earth? What an intriguing question. And a lot of people uh, throughout history have tried to answer this question. Unfortunately, many are just out of baseless kind of speculation or hopeful thinking or just guessing what it's going to be. And if you were here last week, we talked about uh, the soul separating from the body. We talked about uh, the, the judgments and the great white throne judgment. Okay, we talked about eternal rewards. And if some of those terms are confusing to you, please, please, please go back to our website and uh, get caught up. Uh, there's lots of great information from last week, and it kind of sets the stage for where we're going today. Uh, but next week is going to be great as well. We're, we're, it should be a very uh, uplifting sermon and uh, should build up your faith a lot. Uh, it should relieve some fears that you may have. We're going to be taking a look at what heaven's going to be like. Talk about awesome. Uh, but this week, we wanted to talk about something a little bit challenging for all of us, right? Nobody, nobody wants to really talk about this or think about this. Today, we're, we're talking about and looking at the reality of hell. Aren't you glad you came this morning, right? No, th this, is, um, this isn't something that we necessarily enjoy talking about. And so you might be thinking, why, why in the world are we talking about it at all? It isn't fun. It's not uplifting, right? I, I kinda, uh, it's not what I signed up for when I woke up and you know, got here early. You, you might be a believer in Jesus today and you're like, Jason, I, I just wasted my morning. I, I already know where I'm going whenever I die. I don't have to worry about this. I've checked that box. But here's the thing. If we don't accept the reality of hell, we'll never appreciate the glory of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. And it really comes back down to the, the big idea from last week that what you believe about eternity determines how you live today. So no matter where you're coming from, this is true if you believe in Jesus or not. So no matter where you're coming from this morning, please don't check out. Please don't check out. This is so, so important to understand because what you believe about eternity determines how you live today. So where do we even start talking about this? It's such a, a heavy topic. Well, a big question is what even is it? What is hell? And there, again, so many people throughout history have tried to answer this question. We see one of the early church fathers, Origen, he said hell was a place where the souls of the wicked uh, were purified so they can make their way back to God. Uh, maybe one that we're a bit more familiar with, Dante. He thought there were nine levels of hell underneath earth's surface where the wicked were tormented by beasts and bitten by snakes and trapped in rivers of blood and, and uh, flaming tombs, kind of creepy imagery. And C.S. Lewis's uh, view of hell was a lot less creepy than that. He kind of looked at it as a, uh, as a dark, gloomy city where he says, being fades away into non-entity. Kind of an interesting phrase there for hell. 
And then, <laughs> then we have the band ACDC, right? Uh, they have a much happier view of hell. Uh, they said, hell ain't a bad place to be. It's where all our friends are. <laughs> so <laughs> what I want to do this morning uh, is I want to steer clear of all the speculation, all the myth that we've built up around this topic of hell. And I want to take a look at what the Bible actually says about it. And so we're going to start with the Old Testament understanding of hell. We'll look at a, a ex, some extra biblical passages as well just to see uh, what they were saying in that time period. We'll take a look at uh, when Christ came and what Jesus actually says about hell. And then we'll take a look at what the rest of the New Testament says. Okay? So let's begin with hell according to the Old Testament. And this is, this is God's story. The Bible is God's story. And just like any story you read, you, you, you'll find that you get some information early on. And then as the story progresses, you get more and more information. That's what we see here in the Old Testament leading into Jesus and what he had to say. And then finally, uh, with uh, Revelation kind of wrapping it up, we see more and more of this doctrine of hell. So let's start in Daniel chapter 12 Verse 2, we read this about uh, the destiny of all mankind, whether in heaven or in hell. It says this, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. And then we see in Isaiah 66, God says this about the end of time. He says, As the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and uh, descendants endure. All mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord, and they will go out and look on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me. The worms that eat them will not die. The fire that burns them will not be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. And later on, speaking of how Jesus echoes this very verse in Mark chapter 9, he says, the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. And so the Old Testament Jews had a general understanding of what hell is. Uh, and by the time of Jesus, the Jews had an even more well-developed understanding. They, they would describe hell as a place of fire and where people lament. And the, the Jews in Jesus' day believed that after the wicked die, they would go to a place called Hades. And again, we mentioned this last week, but Hades is not the same place as hell. Hades was a place where they would await judgment and then uh, be thrown, the wicked would be thrown into hell for their sins, as punishment for their sins. So listen to this quote from uh, a Jewish writer. This is uh, the second century BC. Um, this isn't in the Bible. This is first Enoch. It's just an uh, extra biblical text to see what other people were saying as well. It says this, that the sinners are set apart when they die and are buried in the earth. Judgment has not been executed upon them in their lifetime until the great day of judgment. And to those who curse, there will be plague and pain forever and retribution of their spirits. And so what we're about to see uh, with Jesus' teachings on hell, they're not unique and, and you know, new to him. Okay, so that leads us really um, into, into hell according to Christ. And we see that it is very familiar and similar to what they were saying in the Old Testament. So what did Jesus have to say about it? Let's look at a few passages. Matthew, starting in Matthew chapter 13 uh, in verse 40, it says, Jesus says, As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And then Matthew 13, 49 and 50 says, this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And in Matthew 18, it says, if your, right, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. And then we have this kind of strange parable about a rich man in Lazarus in Luke 16. And it says that this rich man goes to Hades. Again, it's not the same place as hell. It was a place where the wicked go to wait their, await their judgment and then are, after the judgment are thrown into hell, their final state. But Lazarus is also in some sort of intermediate state, but he's awaiting his resurrection. And it's, in, it's significant that the rich man who's in Hades, he realizes what's going on in the fact that he says he's in agony in this fire. In Luke 16, 24, it says, so he called to him, this rich man calls to Abraham. He says, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Now, Jesus also says uh, that there's a chasm there's a separation between the wicked and the righteous. He says a couple of verses later in Luke 16, 26. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And so this, this passage affirms that there will be some sort of punishment for the wicked immediately after death, immediately after they die. And there's no indication that that situation and that these situations can be reversed. So there's consistent teaching on hell throughout the Old Testament, even some extra biblical writings. And we, well, there's a lot more under that category that we didn't cover. But there's consistency between the Old Testament and what Jesus taught. But what about the rest of the New Testament? Does their, does their teaching agree with what we've learned and looked at so far? And absolutely, absolutely it does. So let's talk about hell according to the New Testament. And this is, this is really interesting because Paul, in all 13 of his letters, doesn't mention the word hell once. And so does that mean Paul kind of avoided the topic? He didn't want to, you know, step on toes or he didn't want to, you know, talk about hell? Absolutely not. Not Paul. Paul, more than any other writer, talks about the fate of the wicked. More than 80 times in his 13 letters, Paul uh, describes the fate of the wicked with terms like perish or be destroyed or endure God's wrath and others. Paul absolutely believed that the wicked will face uh, a terrible fate after they die. We see this in 2 Thessalonians uh, uh, 1, 6-9. He says, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his might. And Peter and Jude are also very, very straightforward when it comes to hell. 
In the books of 2 Peter and Jude together, they talk about uh, destruction and punishment and judgment, condemnation, hell, and suffering that await the ungodly who don't follow Jesus. Hell is described as the gloom of utter darkness and the punishment of eternal fire. I mean, very familiar and similar terms that we see all throughout Scripture. And finally, the Apostle John, he concludes kind of the story of the Bible in, in the book of Revelation. We get uh, even more clear images of hell. In Revelation 14, 9 uh, through 11, speaking of the final judgment of God, John writes this. He says, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives its mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. In Revelation 20.10 says this, that the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And, and bear with me, one more. Revelation 20, 12 through 15 says this. He says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Whew. Anybody exhausted yet? I am. I'm exhausted. But here's the thing. I kind of hope you are. I kind of hope you're thinking, all right already, I get it. I get it. Because like it or not, hell is real. It's a real place and real people are going to spend a real eternity there. That's what I want you to understand this morning. That's what I want you to get and grasp. Not because I like the doctrine of hell. I don't like talking about it. I hate preaching about it. I don't like thinking about it, right? But, but I want you, and I'm being so thorough this morning because I want you to know the truth of God's word. Why? Why is that so important? Because, again, if we don't accept the reality of hell, we'll never appreciate the glory of the gospel and the goodness of Jesus. Because what you believe about eternity determines how you live today. It's so, so important. So I think we've made a pretty convincing biblical uh, case for the existence of hell because there are people, there's tons of people that don't believe in it at all, at all. And so the fundamental, next fundamental question we need to answer is why? Why does that place exist? Why is that even a thing? Because I think if we can answer that, it helps to understand the severity of God's judgment and the purpose of God's plan that it, that it holds. It may not relieve the painful emotions that we experience when we contemplate the implications of this, where uh, friends or family or uh, co-workers or neighbors might be headed in that direction. But I think it helps to understand it intellectually. So why? 
why does hell exist? And I want to talk about two fundamental reasons. And the first is this. Hell exists because sin and evil exists. Some people want to deny that, that evil exists in the world. Right? That they think that uh, the world is full of people who are, you know, by nature, basically good. Then they, they do, uh, you know, basically good things and think about others before themselves, unselfish, always kind, that, that humans are basically good. You know what I want, and you know what I think when people tell me that? Have, have you watched the news lately? Right? Have you picked up a newspaper? The world is filled with evil. It's filled with broken relationships, broken promises. It's filled with abuse and murder and terrorism. I mean, gosh, on Easter weekend, we had the bombing in Sri Lanka. It's filled with evil. The Bible teaches that it's in my nature and it's in your nature to be selfish and to put ourselves before others. I mean, what was true in Noah's day is still true today. We see in Genesis 6, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. So you might ask, why doesn't he just get rid of it? And, and he could. God could absolutely eliminate all the evil in the world. He would just have to get rid of you and me and all of us. Isn't that true? Because I can't tell you and you can't tell me that you've always made the wise choice. You've always done the right thing and you've never hurt anybody. I can't tell you that. See, God gave us the freedom of choice. It's the greatest gift he's given us, but it's also our worst curse because we don't always make the wise choice. We don't always make the right choice. Right? God gives us this ability to choose right from wrong, evil from goodness, because we're created in his image. And so as a result, people get hurt, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. And absolutely, God could take away all the sin, all the suffering, all the evil in the world. He would just have to take away your freedom. And so, so why does God give us this freedom? I'll tell you why. God gives us this freedom because he wants you to choose to love him. Because he wanted, he, it's not love if you're forced into it. He wanted you to choose to love him. It's not love if you don't have the ability not to love. And so he gives you this choice and he allows sin in the world so you can have that choice. Okay? But here's the thing. God doesn't allow sin in heaven. Isn't that interesting? And we're going to talk more about this next week, but heaven is perfect. And so there's no sin in heaven. And that means uh, there's a really big problem because if perfect people are in heaven, I'm not that. I don't fit that category. Because if, if God allowed imperfect people with their selfishness and their sin and all the things that are in us now into heaven, it would be just like earth, right? It wouldn't be heaven anymore. That's a problem, again, because I don't fit that category and neither do you. David actually says this in the Psalms. He says, Lord, who may enter your holy tent? Or in other words, who, who can enter your presence who may live on your holy mountain? Only those who are innocent and who do what is right. And then Matthew uh, 5.48 says, Be perfect 
Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yikes. I don't know about you, but again, I don't fit that category. I'm not always innocent. I'm not, I don't always make the right choice. There's not a chance at all that I'm going to get to heaven. Because I, I, don't, I don't live up to my own standards. We don't live up to our own standards, let alone the, the standards that God puts out. The Bible says we've all blown it. We're all sinners. And so there has to be a place for evil and sin to go because humans were made to last forever. Hell exists because sin and evil exist. Now, the second reason hell exists is because God is holy and he's just, okay? God is holy. That means he's perfect in all of his ways. And he's just, that means he believes in justice, that he settles the score. The Bible says that one day God is going to balance the books. He's going to right the wrongs. He's going to bring justice to this world that's full of evil. I don't know about you, and I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but life, life isn't fair, right? Life isn't fair. There's plenty of evidence that good things happen to bad people and bad things often happen to good people. And we see people that lie, steal, and cheat their entire lives and they become enormously wealthy and successful. But other people who are trying to do the right thing and live basically good lives, they don't see things work out in their life because life isn't fair. I was told by a previous pastor that I was working under that, He said, fairness, fairness ended in the garden. Meaning, fairness ended when sin entered the world. David says this in the Psalms. He says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I'd see the goodness of the Lord. In other words, I look at this world and I can easily go, this isn't fair. If I didn't believe that one day God was going to settle the score and bring justice, it just wouldn't be right. I would have despaired if I didn't know that. Solomon talks about this. He complains. He says God is holy and just, but he also says this in Ecclesiastes 8, uh, 9 through 14. He says, I have thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun, where people have the power to hurt each other. I've seen wicked people buried with honor, They are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. This too is meaningless. When a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it is safe to do wrong. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked. And wicked people are often treated as though they were good. This is so meaningless. But one day, God is going to settle the score. Psalm 98, 9 says, For the Lord is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness. And that brings us all the way back to 2 Thessalonians uh, 1, 6-9, where it says God is just. He's just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Do you notice that last phrase, shut out from the presence of the Lord? It's the number one characteristic of hell. Shut out from the presence of the Lord. And I don't think people understand and realize how bad that is. 
Because here on earth, even those that, that don't know God, that have kind of rejected him, blown him off, he shows them grace. Because everything we have in this life is a gift from God. The air we breathe, the water we drink, our brains, our beating hearts, everything we have is a gift from God. Right? So even people who don't know God experience his grace every single day. But God says, one day I'm going to settle the score. And you might be thinking, well, yay, God, go get my enemies. Go get them. But again, there's a problem with that because you and I are involved in that too. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, here's, here's the really good news. For those of you that have put your faith in Jesus, that believe in Jesus for your everlasting life, that judgment is not going to be one of condemnation. We see that in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, praise God for that. Praise God for that. But here's the thing, and this is where I kind of want to land today's message. See, if I were Satan... If I were the devil, what I would try to do is convince you that hell isn't real. What I would try to do is convince you that at least hell isn't that big of a deal. Nobody's really going there. Everybody's okay. We're all going to, you know, end up in heaven anyways. Don't worry about hell. All our friends are going to be there anyways. Because if I could convince you to believe that, then you could easily just live for today. Right? You could justify your sin. You could reject Christ, live with no real fear of God. And if you're a Christian, and I could just push this idea of eternity to the back of your mind and make you think that hell's not that big of a deal, you could live ridiculously self-centered lives. You could idolize comfort. You could fall in love with this world and believe that it's all that really matters. And you would rarely, if ever, share your faith with people who don't know Christ. Because if I, if I were the devil and I could convince you that hell's not real, you could live completely for today and forget why we're really here. Right? As we looked at today, hell is a very real place. And real people are going to spend a real eternity there. Because sin and evil exist. And God is holy and just. Now, in a message like this, it's so easy to just focus on that. But here's the thing. God isn't just just. He's not just just. He's also love. And love isn't just something God does. Love is who he is. We know this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For the wages of our sin is death. That's what you and I deserve. We deserve that punishment. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God from his goodness, from his love, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how did God uh, show his love? God showed his great, incredible love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we still hated him, while we still rejected him. Some of you need to understand that God is coming after you this morning. But he's not coming after you in judgment. He's coming after you in love. Because he desires that none would perish. 
Not a single one. So much so that he sent his son to die on a cross for you and for me, that we could live eternally with him. So why? Why do we talk about hell? Because what you believe about eternity affects how you live today. And if we don't understand the reality, and if we don't accept the reality of hell, we'll never truly appreciate the goodness and the grace of the price that God paid so that you and I could have eternal life through what Jesus did on the cross. It's so, so important. Let's pray together. God, this isn't uh, easy. It's not an easy thing to think about, let alone talk about. And so, God, we ask for your grace. We ask for your wisdom. As we go about our, our week, God, help us to see people like you see them and desire that none would perish. God, help us to share our faith, invite people into a, into a relationship with you. God, give us words to say as we interact with different people in our, in our lives. God, help us to take this seriously. Help us to acknowledge the existence of hell so we can appreciate truly what you've done for us and the, the true gift that it is of eternal life with you. God, thank you for providing a way that sinners like me, imperfect people like me, can spend eternity with you. Thank you so much for providing that for us. God, we love you and praise you for how good and loving you are. Pray this in your name.